it's it's a wonderful text. So uh, let's uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll begin our study in Isaiah 44. Father, it truly is a blessing to come before you this evening and to open the Word of God and to hear from you. And Lord, I pray right now that you would just calm and still our hearts. Lord, help us to focus upon your Word to hear from you. Help us to understand. And uh, Lord, we ha- we cling to the promise in the Scriptures that. Your Spirit will guide us in all truth, and we're asking for that tonight. We pray for the Awana clubs across the street, for the teachers and the children, that you would work in their midst, that you would bless there. And if any have come into any of our services tonight that are unsaved, may they hear the gospel and repent and believe in the gospel and be saved. Lord, we love you, and we ask you to work in our midst. Again, I ask you for your help that I might accurately teach your word for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. Isaiah is recording under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit what God has said, or God's message to Israel. So God is speaking to the nation of Israel, and Isaiah is recording it. Now I just want to, um, just for a moment, I need to tell you this. There are some who believe and teach that the church replaces Israel. And that the kingdom is not a literal kingdom, but it is a kingdom in the hearts of those who believe. There's only one problem with that. And that problem is a careful study of the scriptures teaches that the kingdom is a literal kingdom in which Jesus Christ ruled and reigned on the throne. He'll sit on the throne. All of the major prophets, even the minor prophets, that prophesied about the kingdom prophesied of a literal kingdom. So to do that, you have to spiritualize the text, and you you can't take it literally. Secondly, a careful study of the Scriptures will prove that God, in fact, is not finished with Israel. We studied that in Romans chapter 9 through 11. Remember, I taught you that He has kind of uh, set them aside for a while to open the door for the Gentiles as a wild olive branch grafted in that we might make them jealous and woo them back to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, as we come to this text, it's imperative that we understand that Isaiah is recording the message from God given to Israel. Now, there are applications that we can take from this, but this text is directed towards Israel. And so that's important to keep in mind. Uh, Just a careful, quick outline. Verses 1 through 5 are the promise and blessings of the kingdom. Verses 6 through 20 is the utter foolishness of idolatry. Uh, Verses 21 through 23 is the call to repentance. And then verses 24 through 28, he finishes with the absolute sovereignty of God, a declaration of the absolute sovereignty of God. With that in mind, let's look at the promise and blessings of the kingdom in verses 1 through 5. Verse number 1, yet hear now, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel whom I have chosen, thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb who will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and you Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will pour water on him who is thirsty 
and floods on the dry ground, I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessings on your offspring. They will spring up among the grass like willows by the watercourses. One will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call himself by the name of Jacob. Another will write with his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. God establishes that his message is to Israel, those whom he has chosen, those who he have formed in the womb and had called to be his servant, his nation, the apple of his eye. And it's interesting to note that he calls them in verse number 2, and you, down to two or three sentences into that, and you, Jeshurun, who ha- whom I have chosen, this, this title, Jeshurun, is an honored name for Israel, whose root meaning is right or straight, right or straight. It's in contrast to the root of Jacob, which means reacher or deceiver or supplanter. So <clears throat> this, is a, this is a term of endearment. Now, why do I point this out about the kingdom? Because there are specific things in this, these first five verses that have not happened to the nation of Israel. And so we have to keep them contextually, we have to keep them uh, dispensationally where they belong. For instance, notice in verse 3, For I will pour water on him who is thirsty. Thirst is a physical need. So God is telling them, Israel, I'm going to meet your physical needs. And floods on the dry ground, I will pour my spirit on your descendants. Obviously, if he's telling them that he is going to pour his spirit on their descendants, then it's yet future, right? Of course it is. And so, on and my blessing on your offspring. Now, there's a song that we sing, and I won't um, tell you the song. It's a hymn, and many, many sing in the church. And the second verse of the song says, Ye chosen seed of Israel's race, be ransomed from the fall. We are not Israel. We're not Israel. And so he is talking about pouring his blessing on the nation of Israel, and the grass will spring up like the willows in the watercourses. And people will say, for the first time, Israel will say, I am the Lord's. I want to be known as being the Lord's, not as the nation we think we should be. Another will call himself by the name of Jacob. Another will write the Lord's and name himself by the name of Israel. When will that happen? It will happen in the millennial kingdom. That's when all of these physical, spiritual, emotional blessings will be poured out on the nation of Israel. But before they go into the kingdom, they have to endure through the tribulation period. So understand, it's clear that during the millennial kingdom, there will be physical as well as spiritual blessings for Israel. Israel right now today lies under the threat seven days a week, 24 hours a day of Hezbollah and rockets pointed at them, fired whenever they want to fire at them. They do not 
enjoy the supernatural blessings that God is talking about as of yet, but they will because God keeps his promises. So he begins this portion of scripture with the promise of the blessings during the millennial kingdom. Now, verses 6 through 20, this is a very important portion of scripture because from there he launches out against idolatry. And he speaks out about the utter foolishness of idolatry. Idolatry is simply anything that is between you or God. Anything you give more of your affection, your attention, your devotion to than you give to God is an idol. In Israel's day, they would carve images so that they could have a physical representation to look at to aid them in worshiping and they would call it a god and this was utterly reprehensible uh, to god by them and what they would do he 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 did not approve of this and he will not approve of it and we have to see how horrible idolatry is now Today in our day, many of us don't bow before a wooden carved statue or a bronze statue or any kind of statue like that. We don't bow before that. But there are plenty of people in America that bow before the almighty dollar. There are many people that bow before their political affiliation. There are many people who have set up these idols and what I, and, and, and this, you know, this is my opinion, and I don't know, I've not been to your house, I'm not critiquing your house, but this is my issue with pictures of Jesus. No one has seen Jesus physically on this earth. And we someone gets an, an artist rendition of Jesus and you hang it in your house and you think, oh man, he is so lovely. That is not Jesus. That is an image, a graven image, which is idolatry. But you say that and they think, well, you're just way out there. You're crazy. I'm going to keep my picture of Jesus. Well, keep your picture of Jesus between you and God. But don't say that when you find out that I was never told because you were. Notice he says in verse 6, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. These are very specific titles. Notice what he says. Pay attention, he says. Thus says the Lord. Pay attention. Everyone, get this. I am the first. And I am the last. This is what I love. When you come to Revelation and Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. The end. For emphasis. It's a declaration of who he is. It's a declaration that he is God. Notice what he says. Besides me, there is no God. Now, does anybody else here, this kind of bothers me. When I talk about these false gods, little G-O-D-S, I hate to even call them gods. Is anyone else that way? I hate to even acknowledge that because that insinuates to someone who doesn't know that there are multiple gods. God is very clear. Besides me, There is no God. One God revealed in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 
one God, three distinct persons. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Son. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. But all three of them are God. All three of them are God. This is a worldly illustration. It's not real good. My dad is Richard Estep. I am Kenneth Estep. My son is Noah Estep. We all three are Estep's, but I am not Noah, and Noah is not Richard, and Richard's not Kenny, and so on and so forth. You get it. You see that. One God. There are no other gods. Now, God is, uh, God is going to implore some rhetorical questions. May I say that you make note of this? When God asks a question in the scriptures, he is not asking so you will inform him, inform him so he can be informed. He already knows everything. When he's asking a question, he wants you and me to answer correctly. That's what he wants. Now, notice what it is. Verse 7. Speaking of those so-called little G-O-D-S's, verse 7 and who can proclaim as I do? Tell me one person who can say, let there be light, and there's light. Most of the time, when we turn on the light of our house, it's a crapshoot. Hey, it's coming on or not. You know, we don't know if it's coming on or not. Let there be light. Who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it and set it in order for me. Since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show these to them. Who can, proclaim, who can proclaim as God does? Well, the obvious answer is no one. Okay, verse 8. Do not fear nor be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? The obvious answer is what? No. Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. Not one. And you automatically see that rock and it draws your attention to the New Testament. On Christ. And remember our song we sing? The solid Rock I stand, all other ground, sinking sand. You got it. I'm just full of songs tonight. Quoting songs. You got the words right, Amy. Hallelujah. Look at verse 9. Those who make an image, all of them are useless. Now, I love this. He is going after the people that carve and make the idols. God's going to call them out. Because he's God and he has a right to. Those who make an image, all of them are what? Useless. Why? And their precious things shall not profit. They are their own witnesses. They neither see nor know that they may be ashamed. This carved image can't see, it can't know. This idol that Israel may have worshipped, the most notable perhaps would be the, uh, the one we remember the most was um, the golden calf, right? The golden calf couldn't see, it couldn't know, it couldn't even be ashamed of what was going on around the calf. Why? Because it's a thing. It wasn't created by God. 
It was formed by man. And may I say to you, the longer I live, the more I see that what God has made is beautiful and what man has made always fails. Right? Always fails. And you ever notice the longer we live in this high-tech society, how little or how um, short things last any longer? I mean, when Amy and I got married, we were handing me down from her mom a washer and dryer. The dryer had been through a flood, and I mean, the thing was like Gibraltar. It could, nothing could happen to it. And what do you do? You get something nowadays, and you get like, you better get an extended warranty on that. Well, if it's so good, why do I need an extended warranty? And you do good to get a couple of years out of it. I mean, refrigerators used to last forever. The longer man has his way, the worse it gets. I'm just telling you. That is fact. And for all of our accomplishments and all of our modern technology, we're no better for it. We are no better for it. And uh, this is because man comes from the image of of the fallen world. Verse 10. Who would form a God or mold an image that profits him nothing? Why in the world would someone sit out? God wants to know. Why would someone sit out to make an idol that can do nothing for him? Why would you want to pray to something that can't answer your prayer? Why would you want to do it? I mean, it, it is, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Why waste your time building this shrine that can do nothing for you if you intend to worship it? Verse 11, Surely all his companions would be ashamed, and the workmen, they are mere men. What did I just tell you? (laughs) They're mere men. Let them all be gathered together. Let them stand up. Yet they shall fear. They shall be ashamed together. Why? Because the idol can do nothing for you. And it's utter foolishness to think that by fashioning this image or this idol or creating this idol in your mind that it will do anything for you. Look at verse 12. The blacksmith with the tongs works one in the coals, fashions it with hammers, and works it with the strength of his arms. Even so... He is hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. That doesn't happen to God. God doesn't take one uh, piece of metal, put it in and bring it out with his tongs and start beating on it and gets tired and hungry and faints. God doesn't do that. God never slumbers and never sleeps. He never gets tired. As a matter of fact, he says in his word, even if he did, he wouldn't tell us. What he is saying is, the maker of these idols are limited by humanity. God's not. It's utter foolishness. It's utter foolishness when men and women line up. I, I remember somewhere in my study, and I got too many files. But I have somewhere in my files, when I was at Abundant Life Baptist Church, there was a crusade in the Huntington Civic Center. And there was this faith healer that was coming to the the civic center. 
And they had this real nice color brochure that they had sent out to all the um, zip codes there around, around Huntington. And it said, if you want to receive a miracle, you had to come two hours prior to service to receive your instruction to, on how to be healed. Jesus never had a course. Now, this is what we're going to do to heal. Peter walks by, and the guy says, give me some money. And he says, silver and gold, have I none? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And the guy got up. He didn't say, now, we're going to have a seminar two hours earlier. I'll be back. It's, I'm, I'm not trying to be facetious. I mean, uh, you know, I, I want to see how ludicrous this is. Yet people worship them. You ever watch some of the old, old, old videos of Catherine Coleman? How many of you ever heard of her? She wore them white, flowing. It was, you know, and people bought it hook, line, and sinker. And we're not dealing with the main issue. What is the issue? Every faith healer dies, as will you, as will I. Why? Because we're limited by humanity. We're limited by humanity. I, I love the story because it shows the humanity of the disciples. They couldn't cast out a demon. And they bring him to Jesus and said, your disciples couldn't cast them out. And he cast it out. And they come to him and they said, Lord, why can't we do it? And he said, this, this does not go out but by prayer and fasting. Fasting really is not in the original Greek. And you say, well, why do you say that? Because Jesus told them earlier that you don't fast when the bridegroom's there. The bridegroom was there. It was added for clarity or it was an italicized word but the point i want you to make i want you to see is they were limited even when they had been given the power they were limited by their humanity how is someone limited by humanity going to make an idol that can do anything for your eternal salvation or your soul or your health or anything that's the argument and you're foolish to argue with god because he knows look at verse 13 the craftsman stretches out his rule he marks one out with the chalk. He fashions it with the plane. He marks it out with the compass. And he makes it like the figure of a man, according to the beauty of man, that it might remain in the house. He cuts down cedars for himself. And he takes the cypress and the oak. He secures it for himself among the trees in the forest. He plants a pine and the rain nourishes it. But guess what? He never uses his own materials. He uses God's materials. He's limited. And of course, you have us who cut twice, measure once. And yes, I said that correctly. I know what you're thinking. No, isn't it? Measure twice and cut once? Well, that's the way it's supposed to be. But again, there's people like us that measure once and cut twice. Verse 15. Then it shall be for a man to burn. For he will take some of it and warm himself. Yes, he kindles it and bakes bread. Indeed, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it a carved image and he falls down to it. He burns half of it in the fire. With this half he eats meat. He roasts the roast and is satisfied. He even warms himself and says, Oh, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god his carved image, he falls down before it, worships it, prays to it, and says, Deliver me, <clears throat> for you are my God. But guess what? Verse 18. 
they do not understand. For you shut their eyes, they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot understand. And no one considers in his heart, nor is there knowledge, nor understanding to say, I have burned half of it in the fire. Yes, I have also baked bread on its coals. I have roasted meat and eaten it. And I shall make the rest of it an abomination. Shall I fall down before a block of wood? Watch this. He feeds on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside, and he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? God says he does all this fashioning, he does all this, he offers it up to uh, a burnt sacrifice, he eats all this meat, he worships this carved image, but he has a deceived heart. And he cannot deliver his soul. Do you know what the greatest insult to God is? God, I don't need you for my eternal salvation. I can make my own way. I can be good enough. I can create these images. I'll worship them. I'm my own creator. That is the most insult you can ever give to the living God. And he says this is utter foolishness. Utter foolishness. That you would even think such a thing is utter foolishness. You know why? Because you can't deliver your own soul. That wooden image can't deliver your soul. That picture can't deliver your soul. I can't deliver your soul. No faith healer can deliver your soul. Only the living God can deliver your soul. I was reading through the Gospels, and it struck me in the Gospels when Jesus told the disciples, Do not fear the ones who can kill your body. And that's all. Fear him who can kill your body and destroy your soul. It's telling them to fear God. Fear God. If God is the one that can, only one that can destroy your soul, he is the only one that can give you life to save your soul. So based on that, he turns to the call to repentance. The call to repentance. Look in verse 21. I love this. Remember. Remember. The Lord says to his people, remember. Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. Remember this. You're my servant, Jacob. Remember, Israel, I formed you, and you are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten. Remember that, Israel. I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions, and like a cloud your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. When the Lord calls them to repentance, he says, Remember, Israel, remember whose you are. Remember who you belong to. Remember who made you. Remember whose servant you are. Remember what I've done. I will not forget you. I have not blotted out, or I have, excuse me, blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions and like a cloud your sins. You remember that. 
when things don't look good, you re- still remember that. When you don't think things are going the way you think they should go, you still remember, I am the one who chose you. I'm the one who formed you in the womb. I am the one who called you my people. I am the one who will not forget you, and I am the one who will blot out your transgressions and your sins. So based on that, return to me. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. God is talking to them right there in the present tense about the future, and he talks to them in past tense. Does that make sense? God's the only one who can do that. I have redeemed you, past tense, already. That is why. That is why you remembered. That is why you returned to me. And then notice he says in verse 23, you worship me. Worship me. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Has done what? Has redeemed you. You know the Bible says in the New Testament, let the redeemed say so. Keith Matheny always said that he thinks the scribe messed up. He should have said, let the redeemed say something. It's a joke. It's so is. But let the redeemed say so. We should sing about our redemption. We should shout, your lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, you mountains. O forest and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. Do you see what he's saying there? He calls all of the creation to sing out the forest, the rocks, the mountains, the trees. I don't know if you've ever, many of you probably haven't. I've been in a tree stand when uh, the winds pick up. And you're sitting in a tree stand. Ryan, you probably experienced that. And it starts to rock back and forth. And before long, you start hearing a through the trees. And every once in a while, if you're up there on a good windy day, make sure you're strapped in and you're doing that and you're rocking, you'll hear a tree go, you know, and you start hearing some pretty incredible noises out there in the forest. I'll tell you that. And I just wonder often if that's the creation groaning, crying out to the redemption of the Lord. You see, we have something to worship about. You and I, those of us that are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we should worship the Lord because He's redeemed us. And you don't have to be in front of people worshiping, but you can. But I think that we ought to have worship as often as we can. Not don't wait till Sunday morning or Wednesday night or Sunday night. But worship the Lord. Notice, I love verses 24 through 28. I love it's all good. But the way God is, He turns this about around for us to see the absolute sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. He is in control of everything. Look at verse 24. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and He who formed you from the womb, watch this, I am the Lord who makes all. Things is italicized. It was put there for clarity. But listen to what He says. I am the Lord 
who makes all. Who stretches out the heavens all alone. Who spreads abroad the earth by myself. Remember when Job was going through all his tragedies and trials and toward the end there he kind of turned a little bit to God and questioned him and God says, Job, where were you? Where were you when I created all this? Who spreads abroad the earth by myself? Who frustrates the signs of the babblers? And drives diviners mad? And makes their knowledge foolishness? Who confirms the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messengers? Who says to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited? To the cities of Judah, you shall be built and I will raise up her her waste places. Who says to the deep, be dry? And I will dry up your rivers. You see... Don't buy into the climate change nonsense. Don't buy into it. Because all it is is a hoax to get your money and to control you. And it's an opposition to God. You say, no, now, preacher, I'm not being political. I'm being very serious on this matter. The the climate change is, is not. God told us to inhabit this earth. Have dominion over this earth, the fish in the sea. Man, this earth, we are to use it. Now, I, we can't abuse it. I think we ought to take care of, our, of God's creation. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we live like that. But I'm telling you that the Bible says in Genesis that summer, winter, spring, harvest time is going to come. As long as the world stands, the seasons are going to come. We live in Ohio. Sometimes it seems like we have all four seasons in one week. But the truth of the matter is, God is the one who sustains all this. God is the one who creates all this. Uh, There's a very interesting, I watched part of it, I haven't finished yet, on on Amazon Prime. Um, Brother Michael, who's been coming to our church here, who's going to join, uh, he was telling me, you need to watch this. And uh, it's called, Is Genesis History? It's fascinating. They have all these PhD guys who are like brilliant minds, and they stand in um, the Grand Canyon, And he tells factual evidence of how the flood created the Grand Canyon. And, I mean, the layers of rock, that how it formed, and it's it's, it's absolutely amazing. It's not billions of years old. It's a young young earth, a little over 6,000 years old. And what happened, happened as a result of the flood. And everybody wants to, the reason why they're so adamant about this is it's in opposition to the Creator. Because if they can do away with the Creator that He didn't create this, then you're not accountable to Him. You can live any way you want. And the devil would love that. But we come to the sovereignty of God and He says, Who do you think formed you? You know, it's interesting... So many people struggle with their identity. Uh, so many young girls are just, 
they, they bought into a worldly image and they, they just they killed themselves trying to fit in. If they just understood that God formed you, He formed you. He made you, you. And he does all these wonderful things because he's sovereign. He says to the deep, be dry, and the rivers dry up. I mean, could you imagine being part of Egypt? We got them in our sight now, those Israelites, we're going to get them. And you walk right in and you're looking up at the sea up on both sides. And you get in the middle, and all of a sudden, whoosh. He just brings it back together. Look at verse 28. This is especially important to those to whom he's speaking. And this shows his sovereignty. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd? He shall perform all my pleasure. This is not a Jew. This is an enemy of the Jews. And God is telling the people that he is going to do something. He's going to do what God wants him to do. He's going to perform my pleasure. Saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. Guess who permitted them to rebuild the temple? You got it. Why? Because God's sovereign. And God can use the enemies of Israel to be their most staunch, loyal teammates if he so chooses because he's God now I would like to say four things and then Lord willing we'll go home number one application God's promises are sure trust him God has never broken one promise he's not going to start now matter of fact he says in his word that he cannot lie he self limits himself I will not lie I will not lie. God's promises are sure. The New Testament writer says, yes and amen regarding his promises. Number two, don't allow anything to dethrone God in your life. Listen to this next part. Forsake anything that competes with his glory. Forsake anything that competes with His glory. See, we Christians are good at flirting on the edge. Flirting with disaster. We'll allow things to have control of our lives. We'll have, allow things to have our affection, our attention, as long as we can control it. The problem is we can't control anything because we are human. We're finite. He is infinite. Forsake all that competes against God and His glory. Get rid of it. It's not worth it. I am telling you right now. Uh, we had one of our dear members suddenly pass away this week. Suddenly. Out of the blue. People are dying every day. Every day. And when you die, according to Hebrews 9.27, next is the judgment. You'll stand before the Lord Jesus Christ fact number three repentance is essential to victory over idolatry real simple outline 
Remember, return, worship. Remember, return, worship. That's what he told them. Remember, it's God that's created you. It's God that called you. It's God that saved you. It's God that redeemed you. Return to him. Return to him. I, I, I think that in, in the life in our lives as believers today, perhaps, and I don't know everything, but I think more so than just an outright spiritual defiancy, our biggest problem is probably apathy. We're indifferent to the things of God. We're, we're, we're indifferent to... I had a fellow tell me with a tear in his eye. He said, my dad... I thought my dad would be like my grandfather. When I was a kid, I remember my grandfather sitting in his chair with the Bible in his, Bible in his lap. He might even doze off and he'd had the Bible. He said, but my dad, who's a grown man, is constantly on the phone, mindlessly scrolling through. And he said, my children will never know their grandfather like I knew my grandfather. They'll remember Pappy sitting in the chair, scrolling Facebook and never opening the Word of God. Man, that just scares me to death. Makes me want to throw that thing out the window. Repentance is essential to victory over idolatry. Number four, God is absolutely sovereign. Worship only Him. Worship only Him. Uh, We're starting the Christmas season. And uh, I, I love Christmas time. I really do. I love the lights. We, we had to come around because that wreck, we had to come all the way around, out through everywhere, over the, you know, through the woods and all of Grandma's house we go. I mean, all over that place. And Amy's driving, and I'm like, oh, this is like, you know, we were behind a line of cars, and it's almost like we were looking at the Christmas lights together. You know, she's driving, I'm looking at Christmas lights. I'm like, oh, I love this. You know, I love lights, Christmas time. But more than anything, I love the story. There's a song, uh, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, who, I can't, I'll, I'll find it for you. But it talks about who would believe the story could be true. Here's hoping you do. And it talks about there's a, a, a rumor, there's a woman, she's going to have a baby. And, and, you know, the one she's with is not the father. It's of the Holy Ghost. And, and it's, it's a wonderful story. And I love Christmas time. I can remember as a kid learning Luke chapter 2, memorizing that for a kid's play at church. I remember that. And if we're not careful, church, this day that we live in, apathy set in, everything else is going to take priority and preeminence, making sure we got all the gifts, making sure everything's done, that we forget it's Jesus' birthday. Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And rather than celebrating his day, I'm going to be mad because we forgot batteries. We have to realize we have a sovereign God. And he is holy. He is just. He is righteous. He is altogether lovely. There's no one like him. And I have to continually remind myself, Kenny, you are not God of your life. I have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I am not my own. 
I'm not my own. I'm going to worship him. I have decided that I want to do my very best. Whoever it is that's up here singing a special, I want to focus and I want to hear the message. I want to worship with them. They practice. They put effort into it so that we can all worship the Lord together. The praise team. They get together and they work through it and our sound guys are working hard with outdated equipment to try to make it so we can have a service that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. And we come in and we got a, a mind on everything else. We don't have a mind on the Lord. We forget that He is sovereign. That He is the reason we're here. And as we talked about in our... Uh, discipleship group on Saturday mornings we sit around the table and my statement was men the more I study Christ and the more time I spend with him the more I see how undone I am and how I need him every hour of every day let me remind you of all the things that God has done for us let me call you to repentance and to worship Him. I love this. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and glorified Himself in Israel. You know what? The Lord has redeemed us and He will glorify Himself in eternity. All the angels don't get to do what we get to do. They don't get to experience redemption as we have. They might be a little jealous, I don't know. But can you imagine the glory of the Lord? I tell you, that is why I say besides Him, there is no God. I don't even want to say me. The Bible says me, but I don't want to say me because I don't want to turn that way. Besides him, there is no God. Worship him. Father, we love you. We bow before you.